engaged. Same thing with the Psalms sometimes. I, I haven't given a, a ton of effort into working this out, if there are other Psalms out there, but I know that it's a, it's a, a very rich field for exploration. And, and this is what, for me, what, one of the things that's really cool about the Psalms is that it really pushes us and it challenges us not to be too flat in the way we read Scripture. Because the way we tend to read Scripture is, you know, in our devotions, read a couple verses maybe, pray about it. What do you want to say to me, Lord? And that's not bad. It's, it's good. But when was the last time in your devotions you maybe thought like, hmm, so this is a psalm, and it's a poem. But in the version that's before me, it doesn't look like a poem, and it doesn't feel like a poem. How can I reword this accurately to make a poem out of it? So, for example, I've done this with Psalm 18. In my, in my version, if you want to open up to Psalm 18. And Psalm 18 is an interesting psalm because it actually has a parallel text in 2 Samuel that we compare and contrast, and we can kind of see some interesting things going on there. Psalm 18, I start in verse 7. In my distress I call Yahweh, and to my God I cry out. My voice he hears from his temple. My cry before him comes to his ears. Then it quakes, the earth shakes, mountain foundations tremble, they rock because he's angry. Smoke ascends from his nose and fire from his mouth devours. Coals burst into flame from him. He stretched heaven, came down, feet shod in dark cloud. Mounted cherub took flight, rode on wing winds. Wind wings. He made darkness his cloak, water darkness, clouds of dust. From his presence, brightness, his clouds, hail and burning coals passed. Yahweh roars in heaven, the Most High shouts aloud. He sends forth arrows and scatters them, his great lightning bolts and confuses them. Even sea depths are seen, revealed are the world's foundations. From your rebuke, O Yahweh, from the blast, actually from the nose breath blast, he sets forth from on high and he takes me, draws me from many waters, saves me from fierce enemies and haters all around. So that's not a 100% accurate translation. It's not a word-for-word translation. But it's a translation that I attempted to render in acknowledgement this is supposed to be poetry. And, and for us, the problem is, is that our poetry is different than their poetry. We like certain kinds of syllable patterns and certain rhymes, and they, they didn't care about a lot of that. They didn't have those issues. So their poetry doesn't work naturally alongside ours. But that doesn't give us an excuse for forgetting its poetry. <laughs> right? And that means that it has to be understood theologically even in that sense. Right? What does it mean that... Uh, that we have as our heritage, as a big part of our Christian heritage, a, a serious, a heavy selection of sacred texts that are liter- literally poets, the work of poets, poems. Um, you know, what's the difference between poetry and prose, right? You could say, you know, in prose, you can say things very efficiently. You, in poetry, you don't need poetry to say things efficiently, but sometimes you need poetry to say things accurately because the, the world's a complex and rich place, Right? Poetry gives us access to dimensions of beauty and aesthetics that we don't have any other way. And our theology should be that supple. Our theology can't be just regimented and rigorous and rule-defined. I mean, it needs to be supple and it needs to take into consideration there are shades of meaning and there's colors that should be employed. And the book of Psalms gives us that language. Now, Psalm 103, turn there with me. This is another interesting aspect of the book of Psalms that I've alluded to a couple times. And actually, not just me, but... And, and remind me, by the way, ma'am, uh, of your name here. Sue, yeah, that's right, we've, we've talked before. Sue, Sue was talking about, you know, the, the Psalms give us a sense of 
the contours of our relationship with God and how we can come to him and leave things with him. I think Psalm 103 is an excellent example of something very similar. And, you know, there's even a, there's even a, a, a contemporary-ish worship song. It's, it's a bit dated now, but a contemporary-ish worship song that's sung based on this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. And, you know, you hear people singing this. And I've also heard people who criticize, who criticize worship in, in contemporary circles. And they say, you know what I don't like about contemporary worship is sometimes it's not about God at all. You know, people are singing to themselves to make themselves feel better. And I just think that's ridiculous. And then I asked myself, when I started reading this psalm more closely, who is he singing to? Bless the Lord, the Lord's third person here. Bless the Lord, O soul of mine. And everything in me, hey, every, everything in there, bless his name. This is a psalm that one sings to oneself. Have you ever thought about that? In the, in the God-ordained, divinely inspired scriptures of psalms, we have several psalms, like 42 and 103, that are essentially enshrining as spiritual good, healthy self-talk. All right, you know what? I am not ready today to do church. My game face is not on. (laughs) My heart is not in the right place. And what's God's response? I have a chapter for you. (laughs) Psalm 103. Go find yourself a place to be and then talk yourself up into it. You can do that. Okay, me. And this is, I, I think this is very fascinating even from the perspective of the anthropology of the psalmist, right? How does, he, how does this person think about the nature of humanity? He obviously thinks it's possible for a human being to cast, we, we can cast ourselves outside of ourselves, look back and talk to ourselves, which is not, that is not something that we should just assume is easy for someone to think of or conceptualize or do, right? This is, you know, millennia before Freud and the ego and the, the alter ego or the superego and the id. None of that stuff has been, you know, thought through yet. And here we have a person spiritually casting themselves apart as a conversation partner to enter into a dialogue saying, I know you don't want to worship God, but let me tell you, me, (laughs) you should. And here is the reason why. And then he goes through, don't forget how good he's been. Don't forget all he's done for you. Don't forget the Lord works vindication and justice for everyone who's oppressed. He makes ways he makes, his known, he makes known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's not always going to accuse you, soul. He's not going to keep his anger forever. You know he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So bless the Lord, O my soul. And then at the end of the psalm, after you've worked yourself into it and you've come to a place, then it says, bless the Lord, O angels. Bless the Lord, you mighty ones who do his bidding, obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, every host, all his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's only when you're able to incorporate yourself into the conversation, encouraging and challenging and invoking the worship that you end up having the authority to invite anyone else along. But then, when you've done that, you have the authority to invoke angels to praise God. That's a pretty interesting thing, isn't it? 
Okay, well, it looks like we're out of time for today. There is more material in there that uh, I included that talks about uh, things like the titles of psalms, just giving a hint. Um, and the psalms, as we see them in the context of their use, I just quoted a couple passages out of Ezra and Chronicles where you can actually see what it might have looked like for people to perform the songs, um, not to mention the which, uh, I guess I should say also to couple with that. I didn't include this, but we even know uh, a bit about how the section that we refer to as the Hallel, which is like Psalms 116 to 118, were used by Jesus and his disciples on the night he was betrayed. It says, maybe you have overlooked this, for years I did, that after he was done eating the Passover meal with his disciples, it says they all sang a hymn, and then they went across the valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know the hymn they sang. It was the Hallel. So this is the, the sight in life, the Zitzim Laban. I used that phrase before. This is the Zitzim Laban of this material, where it was used and how it was used. But this by no means explores the full depth. So hopefully all I've been able to do for you is just whet your appetite for more that can drive you back to the books and looking into it, uh, because that's all I've got for today. <laughs> all right, thank you so much. Take care. It is my understanding that I'll be back next week, starting next week, and we're going to be transitioning over to the epistles of the New Testament. And uh, so it's nice to know that Michael still has the easy stuff to throw my way. Um, We'll have plenty to talk about. So take care until then. God bless.